0: From McKinsey's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Today, we'll share another session from our 2020 Global Business Leaders Forum that focused on innovation during times of crisis. I spoke with two of our top innovation experts, Laura Firstenthal and Eric Roth. Laura is a senior partner in our San Francisco office and leads our innovation practice in North America. She serves B2B and B2C clients across a range of industries on innovation transformations. Eric Roth is a senior partner in our Stamford, Connecticut office, and is the global leader of our innovation practice. He's one of the firm's foremost experts on innovation strategy, new product development, business model creation, culture change, and R&D management. Today's session builds on our innovation practice's seminal research on the eight essentials of innovation and how to adapt them to the context of the current crisis. Laura, Eric, welcome. Our first question, many companies are still struggling to adapt to the economic fallout from COVID-19. Laura, is this really the right time for innovation?
1: Thanks, Sean. The COVID-19 pandemic is first and foremost a humanitarian crisis. It is also a pivot point for many organizations who are facing significant headwinds as a result. As the ancient Chinese proverb states, when the winds of change blow, some people build walls, others build windmills. While we understand it may not be possible for everyone to look forward and face into the wind at this moment, we want to send a message of hope and encouragement to those who are confronting this choice. There are really three key messages we hope you take away from. First, amidst all of the challenges facing organizations and executives today, there's an important choice in front of you. We believe that both historically and going forward, successful organizations will most often choose innovation. Second, to deliver innovation in this rapidly changing environment will likely require a process of rediscovery to understand changing customer needs and market dynamics. And finally, in many cases, business model evolution will also be a significant catalyst of new growth opportunities. As value pools shift, we predict the ability to explore and pivot rapidly in this dimension will be another positive predictor of success.
0: So you recently surveyed 200-plus organizations about how the pandemic is affecting how they operate and innovate. What did you find?
1: More than 90% of executives said that they expect the COVID-19 pandemic to fundamentally change the way they do business over the next five years, with almost as many asserting that the crisis will have lasting impact on their customers' needs. As examples, organizations with significant field forces will no longer be able to rely on their in-person coverage to outcompete. According to our recent B2B Decision Maker Pulse survey, 96% of businesses have changed their go-to-market model since the pandemic hit. As another example, organizations have focused for decades on creating the most efficient supply chains and are now grappling with how to introduce much more flexibility and data-driven, real-time reallocation to avoid shortages. In R&D, organizations are rethinking product and service offerings as customer needs and behaviors rapidly change. Of course, seeing the changes emerge from the crisis is not the same thing as being able to act upon them. In our survey, fewer than 30% of these same executives felt confident that they were prepared to address the changes they see coming.
0: And are you seeing any significant differences uh, related to different industries or across industries?
1: As we look across industries, there is a dramatic trend towards deprioritizing innovation. The sole exception to this pattern appears to be pharmaceutical and medical products companies, where we see an almost 30% increase in the immediate focus on innovation. Necessity clearly appears to be the mother of invention. Pharma and medical products companies are taking a new approach to their ecosystems. A notable example is Takeda, which pivoted its SARS treatment program. And together formed a collective with seven competitors, which is focused on developing treatments made from the plasma of patients who have recently recovered from COVID-19. Likewise, an example of enabling rapid scale of production, General Motors partnered with a medical supply company to source hundreds of parts from needed suppliers, design a new manufacturing process, and transform one of GM's factories. The result, delivering of over 30,000 ventilators in a month, a previously unthinkable feat by a non-medical company in this highly regulated industry.
0: I, I believe your survey also showed about one-fifth of the executives saying that they were confident in their ability to innovate. Eric, what's your perspective on how prepared they really are in this new context?
2: This selection of executives has every intent to get back to their growth and innovation agenda post-crisis, but I can say having met with many executives over the last weeks, when that actually occurs is still a little bit of, a, of an uncertainty. And, you know, even though executives are, we think, mostly and correctly doing the right thing to protect their businesses, what raises our, a question for us, given our lens on growth and innovation, is, is that really the right set of decisions that's risk minimizing? If you invest in the core and protect the core, is that actually are you actually better off in the long term? And then the second thing is, is your core business really the same core and the same business uh, operating model that, that it will take you forward? Because given the dynamic nature of what's going on around us, shoring up your core, prioritizing known business spaces and conserving cash to minimize risk until there's more clarity in the future may not actually be the right thing because profit pools and, and lots of other competitive dynamics have actually shifted. And so the question we have is, is actually innovation the critical unlock for organizations going forward to actually understand these shifting consumer needs, the customer needs, to understand new opportunities as the market has evolved around them. And the companies that build this foundation for success are likely to be the winners in the long term.
0: So it sounds like you think organizations shouldn't set innovation aside during downturns.
2: So what we've observed and what we've learned is that every crisis creates both opportunities and challenges. Top innovators as they headed into the, the, this time was the, the financial crisis of 2009 were slightly ahead of the rest of market. But then as you see, those who continued to invest in innovation outperformed their peers and other benchmarks by up to 30% in the post-crisis years. And if we go throughout history, if we look at SARS epidemic, where e-commerce in China really exploded afterwards. If we look at even going back as, as far as World War II and 1940s, where the growth of home appliances and convenience technologies exploded as new parts of the labor force entered the market with lots of women entering the labor force. And then, of course, as we think about the more recent crises, what will that lead in terms of how we think about sustainability, how we think about medical care, how we think about all these new emerging business models could be the seeds to the next wave of disruptive businesses as we pull out of this crisis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is just a great provocation, not only to look back in history, but I also talk about the fact that these organizations really did challenge orthodoxies. These were the ones that brought new business models, new customer needs to solve to the forefront. And as we think about the amount of change that we are undergoing with the COVID crisis, And the fact that in the Great Depression, it took four years to get to the level of unemployment that we are seeing in just six weeks with the COVID crisis, this is really a time of significant change. And challenging those orthodoxies and finding ways to unlock new opportunities is going to be critically important.
0: So how should companies approach allocating resources in their innovation portfolios in this very resource-constrained environment, or at least for many companies, uh, very resource and cash-constrained.
1: This is something that's been true throughout time, which is, as we've worked with many, many organizations, we've found innovation is not an ideas problem. We rarely need an organization that doesn't have ideas. Innovation is a resource reallocation problem. It is the ability to actually shift directions. Some of the critical unlocks that we see with this are not just evolving your business model, but also making different choices. How do you actually think about reassessing your portfolio, relooking at all of your assumptions, and actually deprioritizing some of the uh, initiatives that you've been pursuing where the assumptions no longer hold so that you can focus on those areas and release resources to actually go after the ones where you're meeting the greatest customer needs.
2: And I'll add to that in saying that, you know even though companies might feel cash constrained what is possible to get done with the pent up capacity of the organization is not constrained guess what we have resources that are sitting at home literally who may not be fully utilized what could an organization accomplish if you took the the total accumulated talent knowledge capability of those people and reapplied it to a challenge that's facing your business or an opportunity And when we get to do that with companies, even throughout this crisis, it's amazing what actually emerges. And so I would say, is it really true that all your resources are fully utilized and completely non-fungible in terms of being able to be reapplied to a known challenge? And is there an opportunity to sprain those challenges very clearly and in an agile way assign groups of your employees to go after them together? Uh, We believe that's absolutely the case, and it's it's not even a hidden lever. It's a lever that companies are not pulling as hard as they could.
0: As a firm, we've talked a lot about how companies should approach the various stages of this crisis, first figuring out your current activities and managing the crisis itself, then preparing for that next normal. How do you see innovation fitting into this broader arc of the development of the crisis?
2: As companies start to stabilize and start to think about what the return for them looks like, it's an incredible opportunity to also reimagine. And the reimagine can be fueled and supported by a more innovative operating model. So in a world where lots of companies have experienced decision-making timelines be, clarified, be shortened dramatically and clarified, uh, the ability to move into new spaces quite rapidly, these types of lessons that companies are learning, to the degree that they can be embedded in a more agile growth operating model, will actually help fuel that recovery for that return for that company and also be the unlock for reimagining what companies could possibly accomplish.
0: How does the acceleration of digital and digitization tie into innovation?
1: I think one of the major changes with this crisis is everything from the democratization of lots of the technology, right? It used to be that video conferencing was something that used big heavy machinery and actually sat in a fancy conference room and was only used when you had very specific meetings booked. Now my, my mother and, and everyone else is on Zoom. It's it's amazing how quickly it's become the Kleenex of communication. So I, I really do think there's a big piece of this that is technology adoption has just skyrocketed and Many organizations have had to rethink their channel strategy, had to redo their analytics strategy to understand where their inventory sits and how to allocate it. Um, So absolutely, digital plays an important role. The propensity to jump into innovation, however, does differ dramatically by industry, whether or not they've been hit by technology challenges. When we talk about executives who feel comfortable and are diving heavily into Net new growth and innovation. We see a lot more of that coming from industries that actually either are part of the recovery. So recovery and innovation are one and the same for them, like healthcare. We also see it in industries that have actually climbed the technology curve earlier. So when we look at what's happening in financial services, their ability to innovate on a platform that already was very digitized in terms of transactions has led to a faster speed of innovation than, than other industries.
2: And if I could add, I think the other thing is that our definition of innovation is maybe um, more expansive than many uh, many people's because, you know, we think of it as products, services, customer experiences, and business models. It's not just products. And the reason why that's important is, you know, how many of you in your organizations are rethinking or thinking about what the sales force should look like? I've had this conversation multiple times a day, every day with executives around, G. We never thought we could have our Salesforce remote. So here's a provocation for everyone to think about. Why can't you have the best sales conversation every single time going forward in the future with some sort of hybrid model? So there's maybe one person, maybe not in person, and the rest of the people can be instantly there in Zoom. You can be pretty much anywhere, anytime, and have the best people there with you. That is a huge innovation for just Salesforce coverage and process. You know, we have to think expansively around where is innovation changing the way we work, changing the way we operate, and of course, changing the nature of the products and services that we sell our customers. And digital, to the original question, is right underneath so much of that.
0: So capital-intensive industries, you know, often tend to have longer planning horizons and are somewhat more conservative in terms of their innovation bets. How should they approach their innovation investments, especially in this current climate?
2: The very large company asked us the same question a few weeks ago. In this particular company, it's a chemical company, they actually have massive capital expenditures uh, to put plants in place. And what's interesting is the opportunities that have been created by the crisis were things that they never thought of before. There There are nations, governments, coming to them saying, we need to stockpile certain types of supply of certain critical ingredients, critical components, critical end products for the future if more crises happen again, and they're willing to invest in capital even to furlough resources and assets just to be prepared for those eventual occasions. The response to this crisis is fundamentally different than the patterns that have been established in, in stars and other crises before, and the need to be ready to respond is now a global uh, and, uh, and government top priority. The other thing is use cases products have just dramatically expanded. Let's take PPE as a simple example. PPE used to be something for the emergency room, primarily. Now, pre-manufacturing floor, the grocery store, small businesses, all of those places can potentially have some form of personal protection to keep people safe. A lot of industrial companies that are touching either the value chains or the end products in those markets, all of a sudden have new customers that they never imagined before. And so, again, reimagining your business and then thinking about the operating model and the capabilities and the investments of resources required to go after those is a real challenge that many, many, many companies in these high capital-intensive industries are facing today. And that changes the way they think about capital allocation. That's the implication. they got to change the way they think about that and what opportunities and what kinds of risks they're willing to take.
0: So one other thing I want to come back to in your survey, it showed that pharma is one of the few industries ramping up on innovation. Is that just because of the search for COVID-19 cures and treatments, or do you think that that focus is driven by something broader?
1: I think clearly there are pharma companies that are responding, medical products companies responding directly to the need for COVID therapies and for diagnostics and other forms of uh, of care. There are also quite a number of challenges and opportunities that are facing this industry that aren't directly related to solving the COVID challenge. Uh, The first, as Eric has put out there, is field force. I mean, this is an industry where even as we see recovery in many other areas, the willingness of providers to let reps back into their facilities is likely to be significantly hampered well beyond the period of crisis. So finding new ways to go to market is critical. Second, we see all sorts of new collaboration models that are um, starting around COVID-related topics that are challenging the orthodoxy that these companies are actually competing against one another, and actually spurring real opportunities to collaborate around everything from clinical trials and data sharing to the way they think about their their go-to-market models. So I, I would say there are quite a number of innovations that are now coming out of that, and not the least of which is everything that's being driven by telehealth, where reams of new data and information are now potential to access as you think about how you best care for patients.
0: So to go after such new opportunities, workforces in many companies are now finding that they need different skills. Um, How are innovation leaders training and preparing their employees to help be individual drivers of innovation in this current environment?
2: Yeah, I I think, you know, there's lots of um, ways to answer this question. Uh, One, we've always discovered that while individuals may not feel as though they're natural innovators, when put in a facilitated approach and a clear process, amazing things happen. So I would challenge the notion that people are not prepared. They're just not enabled. Uh, and that's the difference between great innovative companies who have that, those tools, capabilities, and support mechanisms in place and those that don't. Secondly, this is an opportunity, as we said, to roll out new ways of working, you know, taking a proactive stance on innovation and growth and then thinking very clearly, what is the operating model that needs to be in place? I mean, Laura and I are, are working on a few companies right now where they're taking the opportunity to say, you know what, this is the time where we need to grow and go after those opportunity spaces that we haven't had a chance to before. So let's put in the wiring, the processes, the decision-making routines. And oh, by the way, let's learn from the lessons in the COVID crisis so that we aren't putting in long new product development processes that are going to take, you know, two years to manufacture something. Let's put in one that gets us there in six weeks. Well, it may not be six weeks, but it's certainly not going to be two years. So I think, again, this is a, an opportunity, a wake-up call, a chance to reimagine holistically how a company operates and more, more specifically what is, needs to be in place to unlock the capacity and talent of the organization today and to innovate in a more high-probability successful way.
1: And building on your answer, Eric, think about talent beyond your own walls or your own organization. There are quite a number of organizations that are freeing up talent, and that's a real opportunity to access that talent, whether it be permanently or on a consultative basis, an expert basis, to give you more insights into things that could really help catapult you forward. The second, as Eric said, is around training your your current employees. This is a real opportunity while people are at home to deploy training programs to actually upskill and to get people using existing and new tools in much more useful ways. Everything from just getting your your folks to really fully fill out their CRM so you can better understand customers. Many of our clients are now wanting to deploy agile development planning and innovation dashboard type tools so they can really start effectively tracking and managing their innovation portfolios. And it's a great time to do that.
0: So let's shift uh, back to your work on the eight essentials of innovation. Do the essentials change at all during times of crisis? Have you looked at the eight essentials during past crises, for example? Past crises. Sorry. <laughs> so, let's, let, let's, uh, so let's shift now to your work on the eight essentials of innovation. Do those essentials change at all when you're in times of crisis?
2: The Eight Essentials, for those of you who have not been introduced, is a product of about now eight years of longitudinal research with over 2,000 organizations, where we've looked at the practices that drive innovation. There's about a 100 practices underneath these eight elements of essentials. Companies that master these always tend to be better on innovation. And just at the end of last year, we've now been able to take those eight essentials and marry them up with economic profit. So if you're familiar with the economic profit curve, some of the other research that McKinsey does... We've taken the companies who have filled out our innovation quotient survey that we used to test the eight essentials, and we've uh, correlated that to economic profit. And if companies progress all the way to doing seven or eight of the essentials really, really well, you can get 2.4 times as much economic profit as your competition. Even if you can get five or six of them, you can get 1.6 times. But there is a combinatorial effect that you have to get a certain number of these essentials together to really get the benefit of the exponential value creation. And so investing in these capabilities, these practices really, really matters. And we have the quantitative evidence to prove it. So no longer does a company need to say, well, we launched patents and we have got patents approved, so therefore we must be innovative.
0: So do you find then that some of the essentials perhaps matter a little bit less or is, more, is it more about sequencing?
2: Yeah, so what does this mean for us today? Well, interestingly, as I just alluded to, the essentials hold, but they don't hold in the same order. What we've learned is that you have to resequence how do you think about the essentials in the times of crisis. And in particular, anchoring first on using the tools and capabilities and practices under the, the discover and evolve essentials is really important. Discover is all about reconnecting with the market, being market back, understanding the dynamic nature of what's changed around you and listening to customers, looking at market discontinuities and understanding what the new opportunity spaces are. Because whatever your strategy was pre-crisis and whatever your opportunities were pre-crisis, it's almost certainly that something has been challenged relative to that and it's very likely that some of those opportunity spaces may have shifted or even gone away, yet at the same time, some new ones may have appeared. And working with many organizations, uh, that has held true in almost every single circumstance. Um, And so whether it's an opportunity to pivot or an opportunity to double down, you have to ask yourself the question, do I know enough about my context that's the current context to answer that question? And the second one that really comes to the top is evolve. It's am I evolving my business model to go after some of these opportunities? Very often, digital connecting with customers has been an unlock for many companies as they've seen their business dramatically shift from offline to online Practices And so in order to go do that, historically, you would say, I need, we need to challenge our orthodoxies, challenge the way we think about the world, challenge our economic model and growth model. Now is the time to do that because chances are your, your economic and growth model is already challenged. So, you know, putting in place new models that evolve your business against new profit pools that you discover to your, your market-sensing tools is more important than ever. Once you reorient your portfolio of investments, you can then start the process of reimagining, resetting your aspiration. The aspiration still is the number one determinant of a successful innovator or not. And so making sure your aspiration has been reframed to meet the current reality of the crisis and what you believe the market will look like going forward. And by the way, you don't have to have a perfect scenario of the next normal. You just have to understand what are the critical assumptions that are guiding your view of the next normal. And watch out for how you actually incorporating those into your portfolio of initiatives. And that's choose. Choose is all about now making a different set of choices. Perhaps cutting things that were in your portfolio that really have uh, – their chances of success have gone down dramatically. And reinvesting in either things that are still very viable or new spaces that you think are going to be the next growth platform for you. And then as reform happens, it's about scaling. It's about then putting the, the organizational wiring back into – Uh, How you go after this North Star, this new aspiration? How do you mobilize the company? How do you take advantage of external ecosystems to extend and get more than your fair share of of resources, talent, and capability through networks? How do you make sure you're scaling? We talk a lot about the trajectory to scale and and the inability of companies to actually really have a clear pathway there. And then accelerate. Speed is now the new normal. It'll probably continue to be the next normal. And so as people think about, how do I um, innovate my organization? It is all about these eight essentials, but to be in a different
0: order. So can you offer some examples of how companies have applied innovation in their responses to the crisis or to past crises?
2: Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen what the Getty Museum is doing to rediscover how it connects with its patrons, it's amazing. It started on Twitter and has kind of migrated elsewhere, but this is all about life imitating art. And they had a contest for people who can't come to the museum who want that experience, to very creatively, represent art. And everyone is looking in their their kitchen cabinets and drawers and coming up with how to represent the art form of their favorite painting or sculpture or whatever. And what's interesting is, is this is actually the same thing we see all the time. You know, the best innovations happen at the intersection between an unmet need that defines a valuable problem to solve, a technology that enables that solution, and a business model that allows it to scale profitably. That is the fundamental equation, if you will, for how we think about where the greatest opportunities for innovation occur. And for that example, the unmet need was, you know, people can't get to the museum, but they want to. They want to celebrate art. The technology is digital medium, and the business model in this case, well, perhaps a little bit less clear because it's essentially the traditional business model. They're not trying to profit from this, but they're trying to make sure that when things come back, so will the patrons. Another example is Dyson. Many of you have heard of this, but Dyson went from what their traditional business was to ventilators in less than 10 days. That's a phenomenal engineering feat and ability to go into the market space that demand, that has massively high demand, almost instantly. It takes a lot of the uh, courage. It takes a lot of confidence. It also takes real talent. If you'd ask anyone at Dyson, should you be in the medical equipment space, three months ago, I don't think they would have said, yes, they probably would have looked at you a little bit strangely, but just think about what this unlocks from Dyson medical, you know, ventilators today. And what, who knows what next tomorrow, if they can apply the same rigor the same problem solving talent and capability to other challenges, maybe closer to home for some Panera sandwich shop, fast, casual dining. They've actually evolved from fast casual dining to delivering groceries to your home. Um, I would never have expected, you know, Panera to be basically delivering the flour, butter, eggs, and whatever else I need for baking to my house. And what's more interesting is this looks like it has some permanence. So it's not just evolving the business model, but it's now it's creating a new north star for them to go after this space in a real scale way. So we're seeing this in so many ways. Companies are just reframing their business to, to create a new path to growth through innovation.
1: We have You know many, many more of these examples of others who have fundamentally pivoted their aspirations and their business models given the usage that they're seeing. So actually taking what we used to call positive deviance, those who are using things in a way that was unexpected, but actually um, provoked real new ideas um, and turning them into new businesses. In this case, Zoom now thinking of itself not as a competitor to other just video conferencing platforms, but frankly as the new version of WeWork.
0: Do you, do you find significant differences between how B2B and B2C companies or business to business versus business to consumer are approaching innovation during this time of crisis?
1: Well, I, I'll share a thought, and then, Eric, maybe you'll want to, too, but I think we're seeing a lot of interesting convergence between B2B and B2C as well. Many organizations that used to believe their customers were institutions are now finding the, the individuals within those institutions are, frankly, the ones who are making independent decisions.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I worked very closely with both B2C and B2B heavy industry companies, and I would say both are suffering from a lack of imagination as to what's possible. In B2B, heavy, heavy capital-intensive industries, there is a mentality, which is, I'm going to just take little steps because that's the safest path, when in reality, things are swirling around them that are big, huge unlocks and growth opportunities, as we mentioned earlier. On the consumer side, some consumer businesses are doing phenomenally well. Let's not forget, you know, one of the challenges there is a lot of the consumer products companies were not as agile on digital commerce channels as they used to be. So you have this weird reality that, Their sales have shifted and their digital models are actually more expensive to maintain than their non-digital models because everything about them was designed for going to companies like a Walmart or other retail. So they have to reimagine too. So I think the opportunities across the spectrum are massive and it's all about reframing the business, reimagining. So, you know, if I say a final word in our last minute here, choose innovation Go understand and rediscover your customers. They're out there and they're ready and willing to probably give you more insight than you can imagine. And then evolve the business model and then bring the rest of that innovation toolkit right in behind it because it works. And it takes courage and it takes real vision, but it's possible.
0: Eric Laura, thank you so much for this inspiring session. Really enjoyed the time with you today. For the most current information and insights on the implications of COVID-19 for your business, we encourage you to visit mckinsey.com slash coronavirus. There you'll find all of our regularly updated briefing notes, as well as our latest perspectives on addressing the crisis. You can also sign up for email updates on our latest thinking and strategy and corporate finance on our practice website on mckinsey.com. We also encourage you to follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy or to connect with us on LinkedIn via our McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance practice page. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the session and we look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room.